Welcome to episode 131 of The Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Crevat, host of The Climate Champions. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at crevatenergyinnovations.com. This week, my featured guest is Chris Black, CEO of GridX. GridX partners with utilities and energy suppliers to transform their businesses and accelerate the clean energy transition by providing the leading enterprise rate platform, helping these organizations to develop new products and business models to achieve their clean energy goals and to better engage with their customers for broader program adoption. The GridX platform serves more than 25 million homes and businesses, simplifying the otherwise complex journey to a clean energy future. This podcast is being brought to you in part by the Department of Energy's Advanced Grid Research Group, whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and create next generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the electric grid. This year, Distributech will be returning to early February and also to glorious San Diego. It will be our first return to California since my wife and I moved, and we are very excited. If you're going to be there, please say hi to me and to many of my former and future Climate Champion guests. Welcome to the Climate Champions. I'm Lee Crevat, and I'm here with Chris Black, Chief Executive Officer at GridX. Chris, welcome to the Climate Champions. Thank you, Lee. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm very excited. You know, I go a long way back with GridX. I was on the board for almost a decade previously, so I'm super excited to hear how you guys are doing and what's going on. Yeah, hopefully it's a very different company today than it was uh, then. Uh, a lot has changed, but uh, I'm glad that you're you're familiar. Most of the time, I have to start with who is GridX, what does GridX do. Uh, so I'm glad that you are uh, you're you're familiar. Well, I still think for other people, you might have to do that. Also, I feel like I know you from Tendril. True. I know that you were there when you merged with Simple Energy. San Diego Gas and Electric, we were first customers or near first customers of both Tendril right. and Simple Energy. So, I remember. Yeah, some history there. Yes, that's right. With regards to climate change, what was your motivating moment? So I didn't get into climate change for climate change. Uh, I came out of a background of kind of large technology problems. So, so what really got me excited was large scale problems that affected lots of human beings. Uh, and so my background was you know, CTO for lots of uh, startups that was focused on large scale problems. So the one that I came directly out of before Tendril was a company called Local Matters. And we were focused on, at that time, if you think back to kind of the early internet, the internet was great as a research tool, right? You could you could do searches, you can find out who the you know the king of some country was in you know in some long ago date, but you couldn't find out if your local bakery was open uh, on the on the corner. And so that was a classic problem called local search, and it bridged the it kind of brought the internet to the neighborhood. And we were doing all sorts of really cool local search algorithms, local search problems, geospatial things of, of connecting kind of the travel part to the search part, and that was interesting to me because it was one of the few areas that's that was kind of yet 
kind of disrupted by by the kind of the wave of of digitization that was coming. So that was kind of the yellow page search space. If you were, for those in the audience that remember yellow pages, right? So digitizing them, bring them online. And at one point, we had ten percent of the internet traffic running through our platform. So it was a big scale problem. So when I left that company, I was looking for the similar ingredients, large scale problems affecting lots of human beings in an industry that was kind of about to be disrupted by technological change. And kind of the en energy industry was that. And so I was looking for something in the energy industry really for that reason not for climate change reasons and you know obviously that that has changed since you know i will never do anything but climate change uh you know kind of being a champion for climate change going forward but but you know getting into it wasn't driven by climate change at the beginning you mentioned that now you would do nothing but climate change what has changed your perspective and what drives you today absolutely yeah so for me it's the largest problem that humanity has dealt with, right? It's a it's a problem of our own creation, but it's also the largest scale problem that humanity has dealt with and not enough people working on fixing it. And so that combined with the fact that my life has changed a lot since I started in this industry. I've had a child and, you know, and I, I worry about the world that we're leaving behind for our children. It, you know, where there are so many problems that we cause, but someone else is going to have to solve, later generations are going to have to solve. So I want to be part of the solution now is where, wherever I can be. You know, we can all make small changes. Some of us in the industry can make hopefully slightly larger changes by the combined effect of what we're doing, but we can all make small changes and it feels wrong to not try and make those changes. So I will never do anything but this. When you said confidently that this was caused by humans, and it is the biggest threat ever to humans. When you meet people that don't believe those things, right. how do you convince them otherwise? I don't think you can convince people otherwise. So what I try to do is put it in tangible words, you know, so that people can connect what they've experienced for themselves to the causes of it, right? Human precipitated climate change and what does climate change mean? I think we did a disservice for us to ourselves early on in this battle which was by kind of misbranding this thing. When we called it global warming, all of a sudden people, you know, that were experiencing drastic temperature changes and drastic weather events, not all of which were hot events, you know, cold events. Now, all of a sudden, remember the senators bringing snowballs onto the Senate floor, like all of a sudden you lost a big part of the audience. And so I try and talk about how it seems hard to believe that we could do the kinds of things we do with the microplastics in the in the ocean and cutting down the vast majority of the, of the old growth trees in the world and using hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of fossil fuel usage isn't going to have an effect. And so to your question of how do you convince them, I don't try and convince people. I don't think you can, especially today, it's become so politicized and, and polarizing. But the good news is, you don't need to. There's enough people in enough industries that are working on the change that change is going to happen. You know, the, the utilities are signing on to aggressive decarbonization goals. The automotive industry is going electric. It's not going back. There are a lot of positive things. That if we just focus on those, we're going to have a, a good effect and everyone else will come along for the ride. So not everyone needs you know, to be bought in, which is the good news. It's frustrating, but it's, it's also, I think, a very positive thing. Probably 80% of the people I've interviewed in the last year have given an answer similar to, there's no need anymore, enough people buy in and understand, enough companies understand that we're doing this. Right. Should I stop asking the question? <laughs> you know, 
Uh, no, because I would love to hear the 20% that, uh, that answer differently. Uh, you know, it's, I mean, it really is true, right? Like I have family members in the other side of the camp, you know, uh, which is hard to say because that, this is what I do for a living, but like not everyone is going to be convinced. And fortunately not everyone needs to be convinced, but it doesn't mean that everyone's wrong, right? A lot of times it's an incredibly difficult thing to get your head around and because we are small, right? We're small, you know, in, in the global scheme of things, how can we make a, cha a, a, a change on this massive scale of things? So it's a humbling thing. It's a, it's a thing that requires a little bit of willful ignorance because if you start believing, then it also means that you have to change something. Once you believe, you can't just keep going on about your, your daily lives without changing something. So it's a hard problem. That was an awesome thing to point out. And that is, how do you say, yes, we're destroying the world, but I will change nothing? Right. I love that. That is worth me asking that question. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> So I know it's complicated, but can you explain what GridX is and how it helps mitigate climate change? Sure, sure. You know, it doesn't have to be complicated. I, I, you know, it, it is a complicated space that we operate in. Uh, but, you know, fundamentally, what we do is we are the company that works with energy companies to try and implement new types of rates. So if you think about the way we used to consume and pay for energy in the past, it used to be kind of like flat rate, you know, that you had a certain price for your energy, you paid that price regardless of when you used it. And that was mostly because the utilities had control over the supply side of the equation, the demand side of the, if you think about like, you know, those who supply our electrons and all those of us who all consume those electrons in our homes, that equation was roughly equal. Right? That you know, it didn't change a lot over the years, but really, most recently, with the adoption of, of distributed energy resources like electric vehicles and solar and batteries that we're putting in our homes to protect against all these extreme weather events that we're now seeing, has fundamentally changed the demand side of the equation. Right? We don't look as consumers; we don't look the way that we used to look. And at the same time, that demand change has introduced generating resources, you know, things like solar panels all over the grid that the utility never had to deal with. And so the supply side has changed radically. So the utility no longer has the total control of the supply side. At the same time, the generating side is changing overnight. Everyone's going to own an electric vehicle at some point. Uh, and, and that's radically changed how we generate electrons. The problem with for utilities isn't how many electrons we all consume, it's when we consume them, right? So the last thing a utility would want is for all of us who have electric vehicles, all of us come home at five o'clock and all of us plug our cars in at five o'clock, right? That creates this unsustainable spike uh, peak that is really hard to deal with. And so, so what we do at, at GridX is we work with utilities to design time-varying rates, these rates that change the price of your uh, energy based upon when you're using that energy, because the cost of supply is cheaper at certain times a day. Uh, and by the way, this becomes a really powerful decarbonization tool because the problem with these new renewable resources on the grid is that they are intermittent, right? You can't control when the sun shines. You know, you can predict when the sun shines largely, but you can't control it. You can't control wind, you know, and these are intermittent resources that pop up on the grid. And so a way that you can control the mix of those resources onto the grid is a really powerful way is through these time varying rates where you're tying the rate to the the source of those electrons and you're tying the tying the rate to the time of use of those electrons and so so we work with the utilities to help them design those rates to do analysis of okay if we were to to design this rate and roll this rate out 
how would this affect our population? Who would kind of win and lose under this, you know, this new rate? You know, because because utilities have to care that they're being equitable to their population, that certain people are going to be disenfranchised and certain others aren't. And so so we provide tools that allow them to do full population analysis of their millions of consumers to understand how will people react to this rate, how will they perform under this rate. And that's a really hard problem. It's a really large scale problem, but doing that well is important to affect this kind of this these help utilities achieve these decarbonization goals and to help them balance this kind of demand and supply by changing you know giving really obvious tools to consumers to allow them to understand okay if i charge my car now it's one price if i charge it later it's another price so it's a really powerful tool that i think is the one of the most effective that we have because it really doesn't require consumers to change a lot, right? The, a lot of these devices are becoming smart and aware of your your time of use and your rates and will just operate accordingly. It's been quite a while since I used to do that pitch, but I know <laughs> that pitch very, very well. That's a pitch I used to do. It's not just a pitch. It's true. Totally. I mean, utility rate engines use super old technology in general. Right. And they can't do things very fast. So they have to break the bills up into many days and they can only do so much a day. That's right. And so they depend on profiling users and just doing a representative batch of bills. That's right. And GridX can churn through five years of every customer's bill overnight and and look at every change that would happen and get it right within a penny. I mean, that's right. It's just an incredible tool using modern technology to solve really a very new problem. It was okay to take a while when rates were fixed, but in this new world, you're not going to have that. You need to have modern tools. That's exactly right. And it's only getting harder, right? The rates are getting more complex. There's there's more of them every day. Like if you just look at PG&E as an example, PG&E has a hundred rates and, you know, for good reason, you know, it's a large country with very different demographics that behave in different ways. And so, so this problem is only getting more complicated. So you need the tools that are going to allow you the real-time access to that kind of understanding. When we go into a conversation with a utility customer, a new utility customer, oftentimes they say, well, we already have these large CIS systems. Why is you know our billing system that we already have not good enough? And and the answer is, you know, the billing system is the crown jewel of utility, right? Like cash register. Right, exactly. Right. They they produce these electrons, they supply the electrons, and they bill for those electrons. And you know, there's there's a hundred other things they do. Utilities are a complicated business, but but that's fundamentally, you know, the the business model. And so they don't want the cash register used for anything else other than these things need to reliably produce a certain number of bills every night. There's 20 billing periods in a in a cycle. We need to produce a certain number of bills each cycle, and that's it. So they don't want real-time systems hitting those those things. They don't want all of this big data analysis that's required to be done by those billing systems, right? That's why- And they're not made to do them. They're just exactly not made right. to do them. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's right. Fundamentally different problem. I remember I was at a Public Utilities Commission meeting, I'm going to guess seven or eight years ago, and the commission said, how come you're not moving more aggressively to time of use rates and real-time rates? I'm not going to say the name of the utility, but they answered the commission by saying it's too complicated. They couldn't make the rates match between what they are with their big, large billing system and with any kind of other billing system. And I went up afterwards and I said, you know, there is this tool called GridX and well, it will solve customer. this problem for you. <laughs> they're a customer now. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, good. <laughs> it is. I mean, it, you're right, though. It's a it is a very complicated problem, uh, and that requires specialized tools to solve. I brought up the fact that you were at Tendril and helped make the merger happen between yes. Tendril and Simple Energy. 
But can you talk about other parts of your background, how you got to where you are today? Yeah, so I mentioned a little bit of this at the at the front of the call, but you know, I'm a technologist and operations guy, uh, primarily by both trade and training. So I love complicated problems. I love large scale problems. And so I've done a history of, of kind of large and small uh, startups, uh, several successful exits. But, you know, I think the the thing that got me into energy was Tendril, as, as you said. So, so when I came to Tendril, Tendril was a fairly small niche like IoT hardware company. That was kind of how we were known, right? And we were seeing incredible success. You, you can't see this on the podcast, but I'm putting air quotes around success <laughs> uh, because you know, we were doing a lot of deals. This was during the time of kind of the Obama stimulus dollars. They were pumping a lot of uh, dollars into utilities. And the utilities were taking advantage of those dollars to test a lot of new technologies. And when the whole purpose is to test something, you test everything about it. And so we were doing lots of deals. Uh, but it, it it took us a while to realize that those deals were really never going to scale. These were small technology test pilots that were never going to be the uh, come the large scale thing. And so we always had a hardware side of the business, a software side of the business. We realized that the real growth engine of the business is the software side of the business. So so we pivoted out of out of hardware because at that time we had to do hardware at the beginning. But over the years, there were plenty of other good options. Uh, and and so we really focused on the software side of the business. And that's really where we then saw growth. So we changed everything about the business to really focus on being a great software as a service uh, energy technology partner to our, our utilities. And then really saw uh, massive growth over, over the next several years to the point where we were a very solid platform with really solid growth. And we were then healthy enough to then start doing M&A. So I joined on originally as the CTO, but then when we pivoted out of hardware into software, I became the COO. And then that's when we started doing the roll-up. So you mentioned Simple Energy, but Simple Energy was actually, I think, the fifth of the acquisitions we did. We did six acquisitions very quickly, put those in on top of the Tendril platform to create Uplight. So I stayed on through uh, leading the, a lot of that Uplight creation stayed on for another year doing the integration of all those businesses and then jumped over and became a uh, an investor in this space. So I was then a partner in a in a private equity firm doing energy investments and utility transformation investments for several years before I started realizing that you know when I thought about what I did as an investor which is kind of source deals, transact and work with the management teams on the other side, the thing I like the most is working with the management teams. And I just started missing being an operator, uh which is why, you know, I I came to Gridex because it felt like exactly the right thing at exactly the right moment that just needs you know to push the gas pedal or the accelerator now uh, i don't even want to call it the gas pedal anymore it needs to be called an accelerator for going forward because electric vehicles don't have gas pedals when i was on the board i did feel that we had a magical product so i think the yes. product was always there yes it always felt a little early when i was young i thought Absolutely. you wanted to be early and wait for the market right. but i learned in my right. 20s maybe 30s being too early is not so good. So I'm glad that GridX was able to survive to this point. That's right. And I think the timing is perfect now. You're you're exactly right. And the thing that changed, you're absolutely right. We were too early. The concept was great, but it was too early. And the thing that was too early was the fundamental requirement of what we do are smart meters. You know, you have to be able to measure when those electrons are being used. And in this country, we had been stuck at 30% smart meter penetration for ages. And then all of a sudden, over the last several years, we're now up to about 70% smart meter penetration, right? So this, this idea now is now available to almost every consumer in the United States, almost every utility uh, with the proliferation of smart meters. And because it works in the cloud, the cost to, to engage GridX 
is so much less a small utility can now replace their billing engine and actually save money instead of having them cost money. That's right. Can you talk about successes that you've had in your career? Sure. Yeah. I think the biggest success that I've had is it has nothing to do with my career and that is my family. So I, I would feel lousy if I didn't start there. I know the question was about the career, but the thing I think that I'm most proud of as a human is our daughter is adopted. So we adopted our daughter from, from China at, at 22 months and she is just the coolest, most confident, happiest kid. She's 12 years old now. And so this whole like nature versus nurture question for me is completely answered in my mind. It's nurture, right? Like I, I know there's, there's nature involved, but like it, it, you know, my daughter has my personality. She looks like my wife somehow, and she's just the coolest kid. And so, so that is the thing I'm absolutely the most proud of in my life. But professionally, I think the tendril to uplight experience is by far the thing that I am most proud of to date because it, you know, it certainly was never a foregone conclusion that Tendril was going to become the thing that it was. There were times when we were struggling to make payroll. There were times when a lot of times when we did, you know, the, certainly the future was uncertain for that business. And we had a history of scaling up and scaling down and scaling up and scaling down. And so it never looked like it was going to be the billion and a half dollar valuation business that it is today or more. That took a lot of work. That took a lot of just you know grinding it out and doing the right thing every day. And and there was no like one thing where it was like this aha moment. It was just a lot of work to you know and and hiring great people and getting out of the way and just letting them do great work. So I think that's the thing that I'm I'm most proud of of what we built Uplight into and what it is today. But certainly I expect GridX to eclipse that by far. We have the most amazing team. Everybody is super well aligned. Everyone's energized about what we're doing. And it feels like there's no better time for what we do today. All of the macro forces are blowing in our favor and the world needs what we do. So I I fully expect if you ask me that same question two years from now, three years from now, my answer is going to be GridX. That's awesome. I really hope it is. Again, I've been a fan for over a decade. So go GridX. Yes, agreed. So when we look ahead, we're going to see GridX. What were the setbacks you've experienced in your career? Not really a setback. I mean, I'm sure I've had a thousand things I've done wrong and and have learned lessons from. But I think the thing that worries me, keeps me up at night, and I think is harmful for what we're all trying to achieve here is just the pace that everything moves at. There are all sorts of good things about selling to a regulated utility, right? You, you actually unlock millions of consumers with each utility that you have a partnership with. These are long-term contracts that are well-aligned partners. We're all trying to achieve the same thing, but they're also regulated utilities, which means everything has to happen through a tender process. Timelines move at a different pace. And then once you've won a contract, everything takes longer to get it into people's hands. And, and so that I think isn't necessarily a setback, but it is the thing that worries me the most about affecting the kind of change that that I know is possible on a timeline that I wish was possible. When you look ahead 10, 20, 30 years, what do you see for the planet Earth? I mean, are we going to make it? You know, I was trying to think about whether it's better to have a controversial answer on this, because I'm sure everybody you talk to, given the nature of your podcast, says, yes, absolutely, uh, we're going to make it. Um, but I actually honestly believe that we're going to make it. Like, I know that it's it's hard to look around in the political climate and be like, oh, my God, are we going in the right direction? But I fully believe that in our lifetimes, we will see the end of ICE vehicles, of internal combustion engines, just 
The consumer experience is so much better. You know, I only drive electric cars. I can't even remember the last time I went to a gas station, but it certainly wasn't a fun experience. People don't love going to gas stations to fill up. It's certainly much better to just wake up and have a full battery every single morning. And the economics of them are coming down. They, they will be, they already are at parity. There's many cars that are at parity price-wise. Like we're going to be a pure electric car or alternative fuel car, vehicle, society, country, world. There's enough of us focused on this. The, when you have large industries that all have ESG boards and ESG uh, executives and you have utilities signing up for, for really aggressive decarbonization goals, like we're going to get there. Are we going to get there as quickly as any of us would want? Probably not. But this is a hard problem right? to, to say we're going to get off of fossil fuels tomorrow or even in our lifetimes, I think it's not is not being serious about the question, but yes, we are absolutely going to get there. We are going to fix the problems that we've caused. You know, if you think about how much batteries unlock, how much goodness batteries unlock, and we've never really, as a, as a people, we've never really invested in battery chemistry. Uh, you know, because it it didn't seem viable, didn't seem like it had funding behind it. Now all of a sudden it does. So we are going to see vast leaps in in battery chemistry and battery technology. That's going to unlock all sorts of things we can't even imagine today. So I am very bullish that we're going to get there. Whether it's 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, I don't know. Certainly in 100 years, we're going to be largely off of fossil fuels, uh, if not completely off of fossil fuels. And the children then will look at my back and say, like, I can't believe we said dig this stuff out of the ground, burn it to to supply our electricity. Now, this is your question. Yeah. Do you believe that we'll get there fast enough? Yes, I, I do think so. I mean, I think there's no, go I mean, we're not going to be able to under, uh, unwind the damage that has already been done. You know, the polar ice caps are going to melt. And so we're going to have to leverage technology to avoid some of the most damaging results of that. But I, I think we're clever. Uh, you know, I think that you know, we, we will fix this in a time where it's not world ending. I love your optimism. I go back and forth. So when yeah. I talk to somebody like you, I'm like, yeah. But then, <laughs> but then I read an article about something that's going on, like the doomsday glacier, and I'm not so yeah. sure that we're right. going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. I understand that. I wish, I wish a lot was different, but you know, we just have to plug away and keep the faith. Has the pandemic changed your perspective at all? Not at all, actually. I mean, you know, some of that has to do with who we sell to, right? Like regular utilities have to do these things, right? They 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 work on different timelines and different scales than than what we do as individuals, and uh, and so they're still operating. They're executing against twenty year plans, and they're uh, you know uh, executing against decarbonization goals and all the actions that are required to get to get there. So so it actually hasn't affected our business. Only probably even maybe only positively in that. People have woken up to working from home. That's changed the demand profile. So no, I think it has not changed my perspective on climate change and has not changed our perspective you know, on from a business. What advice do you have for people that want to help mitigate climate change? Just do something. That's my that's my advice. Like I know it seems overwhelming. Just do something. Make small changes. If everybody made small changes, it would be a very different world. Just avoid buying something you didn't need in the first place. You know, the easiest way to save and make sure that things aren't in the landfill is just don't buy it in the first place because that's going to lower demand for things. So, you know, just make small changes. Talk to your utility. Look at your utility's website and see what time varying rates are available uh, in your area and sign up for a time of use rate that works for your lifestyle. That's going to dramatically change you know, the mix of supply and make it more sustainable. Like there are a hundred little things that every one of us can do. The first step towards that is just 
is just saying to yourself, like, hey, you know, this is a big problem, absolutely. But if you know, it's kind of like voting, right? We all say, well, what does vote that uh, one vote do? But if everyone said that, there'd be zero votes, <laughs> you know. And so it does matter. Everyone taking small actions does make an, an impact. On that note, I'm going to wrap this up, and I'm going to wrap it up with a wrap. We have a large-scale problem. It could leave the world in tatters. The first thing you did for humanity was local matters. Humans caused a large problem. It can hurt in your gut, but now you're such a believer, you'll do nothing but. One thing about admitting that you have to change is that your life, you have to rearrange. Grinix calculates costs, it does it fast and great, and so it enables a time-varying rate. Of all the things we talked about, the most successful thing you did is that you adopted from China the absolute coolest kid. You have great people, and you made a software pivot that was right, and that allowed you to make mergers and create uplight. This is the most important thing for the human race, but the world is moving at too slow a pace. EVs are finally on parity, on price. Internal combustion engines you might be done. Goodbye ice. Climate change, a lot of stress it can bring. So you say just do something. If you're a utility, you have their back. When it comes to rates, you're on the attack. Thank you so much, Chris Black. Bravo. Wow. Well done. <laughs> a little slam poetry there at the end. I enjoy it. Yeah. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, visit my website at crevatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe, rate it five stars if you're an Apple user, and tell your climate-concerned friends about it. Like many of us, Chris is proud of his daughter and wants to leave the world a better place for her. But as he says, we all don't have to lead a technology company to do that. To make a difference, just do something. Small changes done by all of us is critical to help mitigate climate change.